now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here with Rich Hill on the third straight Super Bowl edition of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Never in a million years did I think that, A, I'd be covering the Patriots, and then, B, I'd be doing it in the Super Bowl, and C, for the third straight year. Rich Hill, do you ever get tired of this stuff? Oh, man, this is aging like wine. It's aging so beautifully. Okay, let me tell you this. When the Patriots reached the Super Bowl against the Seahawks in the 2014 season and they won that, I was like, oh my gosh, we've reached the pinnacle. They've broken through. It's been a decade, but they finally won again. I'm going to treasure this because I don't know when this is going to happen again. And then they won again in 2016 and I was there and I was like, oh my gosh. This this is the pinnacle. <laughs> they're never going to go back. You know, they, there's no way you can top this. And then they went back last year. And, again, I mean, again, 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 Patriots have solidified themselves as the best team in the history of professional sports, specifically talking about uh, American football. And I'm just so happy that they're back. This is – it never gets old. And as you've been saying all year, football doesn't start until February, baby. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, there are there are seven-year-old kids who don't know a world where the Patriots aren't in the AFC Championship, and there are three-year-olds in a world where the Patriots are out of the Super Bowl. It's just nuts. Tom Brady, at this point in his career, has had three separate Hall of Fame careers, I think. He had one in the early 2000s, one in the middle 2000s, now one in the late 2000s, 2010s. It's just a ridiculous run. And the thing that's most foolish, where I look the stupidest, Rich, is I'm always like, we have to treasure this. Because we're never going to be back here again. You never know for sure. That's like the fourth time I've said that in the past like five years. And I, I feel silly about it. But you know what? That's okay because the good news is according to what I saw on Twitter and on Patriots.com and on the various media outlets, Patriots fans everywhere are still not sick of this because I don't know if you saw it, Rich. There was a send-off rally at Foxborough at Gillette this past Sunday. Patriots were all there, obviously, as were a legion of Patriots fans. They sold out the, the the stadium on the field, in the stands, in the parking lot. It was wild. People are ready to go. Oh, absolutely, and they should be super excited about it. I think that this is going to be a great Super Bowl. I love, love, love that they had such a big send-off. The stadium was packed. It looked like it was a full-on concert. Patriots fans did a great job showing up a lot of people who doubt the, the New England fan and how loud they can be. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see this, though, Alec. Did you see the, the Rams turnout? I think all six of them might have been really excited to watch the the, the oh, Rams no. head to the Super really? Bowl. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's that's not great. My my uncle is actually he lives in Georgia and he's at the Super Bowl right now during the uh, the, the opening night for Monday, and he says that it's over ninety percent Patriots fans. And now maybe maybe the Rams fans will show up later in the week, but I mean, having been at the past few Super Bowls, I think. Whatever happens early on, it's pretty close to what it's like going to be like on game day. And Patriots fans, the New England Patriots, they better be ready for a home game because this is going to be amazing. Wow, 90%. That's a great number. It's, I feel like it's been pretty mixed the past couple of years the Patriots have been in it. And then I guess it makes sense, you know, because the L.A., they have two teams and nobody wants either of them there. And so it's kind of a, an annoying 
kind of thorn in their side at this point, I imagine. That's great to hear, Rich. Good news. Yeah, huge crowd at Gillette Stadium sending the Patriots off in style. I was really psyched to hear about Tom Brady's chant. He seems as fired up as ever. Still here. We're still here. We're still here. Which brings up a question, though, Rich. It's kind of all over the sports media and the sports radio, sports talk today about certain media analysts, not just the usual hot take morons, but people who are more or less objective they're kind of questioning the Patriots and how they're really embracing the the underdog narrative or the the people doubted us narrative that we're still here because you know you all thought I wasn't gonna we weren't gonna be here. Do you buy that at all, or you think it's kind of a a manufactured way to get pumped up for the game? Well, as uh, someone that no one should go fact check what my predictions were over the past two games, uh, <laughs> where <laughs> I definitely did not pick the Patriots. Uh, I mean, I think it's totally valid. I, I don't think I'm alone in doubting the Patriots' ability to reach the Super Bowl this year. I think we gave them some excuses early on in the season. They lost back-to-back to the the Jaguars and the Lions, just being like, you know what, early season, no Edelman. Gronk definitely doesn't look the same. So there are some question marks here. They're just finding their form. But Miami Miracle and then also that Steelers game back-to-back, I was a little nervous. I mean, the fact that they only put up 10 points against the Steelers – I, I was ready to stick a fork in them. At that, that point, they had lost that number two seed. They were back down to the number three. And if they had to go on the road in the playoffs, they weren't going to win. They've been a terrible road team all year. And they've been dis- they've been proving me wrong at every turn. Went on the road, beat the Chiefs in the conference championship game. So they, they've been proving all of their doubters wrong. They are absolutely right to be able to call out those people who said that they couldn't do it. Could not agree more, and I'll, I'll account myself among those who counted them out. I think if you asked me and you asked most Patriots fans at any point through mid-October or so, they're probably like, you know what, they'll probably get the two-seed, lose to KC in the eighth championship. I think that's where everyone saw this team ending up. They proved me wrong. They proved you wrong. I have no problem admitting it. That's the only difference. The media who bashed the Patriots all year is just going off, and they're like, how can they possibly think that they're underdogs? I don't understand this. I don't know if you saw this. There's a guy named uh, Hashtag Nobody Died on Twitter. His <laughs> handle is uh, at FTBeard underscore 17, and he started this uh, this hashtag called Nobody Doubted the Patriots, where he just listed every single article and news clip and media bulletin that's like, is this the end of the Patriots? Dynasty's over, just like boom, 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 boom. So you're absolutely right. They have every right to think that, and I feel like Tom Brady – He's always motivated. He's always fired up, but he's on a whole other level this time. They are really rallying around this still here chant. And I feel like every year, it's either, whether it's humble pie, whether it's do your job, whether it's one more, it's still here this year. And they are really getting after it. And I'm really excited for this game. It should be a really good one. Yeah, I mean, if you had to rank all of those, I guess, Super Bowl slogans, would they be considered Super Bowl slogans? Whatever yeah. the Patriots mottos have been over the past few years, how would you rank them? Because I feel like do your job is the clear cut favorite for me. I, I love still here. I love that because it just makes sense in so, on so many levels. They're still here because they're the only, we're one of two teams left in the NFL in the tournament. They're still here in that Tom Brady is 41 years old. People have been saying, is Tom Brady done for almost a decade now? We're, we're coming up on like the eight-year mark. Where, the, where is Tom Brady's window closing? He's still here. There's a lot of players on the Patriots who were either cast-offs 
on other rosters or couldn't make other rosters or weren't standouts on other rosters. They traded to the Patriots. They're still here. I feel like it works on a whole bunch of different levels, and it's a rallying cry that I don't think Do Your Job had. That was kind of Belichick's mantra. Uh, I love Do Your Job, obviously, and I think that was what they called the the America's game was the Do Your Job uh, year they won it. But uh, there's something about still here that really sticks with me, and and I, I just I just love the fact that the Patriots are are so passionate about it, and they're really looking to prove they have nothing to prove, but they still have that chip on their shoulder, and it really did start from the top with Tom Brady. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I- the way that you just laid it out there, that's different from how I interpreted it. You know, I, I got a little bit of that Monty Python, Black Knight, like, I'm not dead yet. You know, <laughs> or I guess that's the, the the villager right there, whatever. But, you know, it's only a flesh wound when <laughs> we're still here. I mean, yeah, this is a team that has overcome all of the odds. I've decried them all year as saying that they don't have any sort of identity. Who are they? What are they? You know, they're, they're proving all the doubters wrong. Maybe they don't need to be a high-flying passing attack like 2007. Maybe they don't need to have a shut them down defense. They're still here. At the end of the day, they're still here. They're in their ninth Super Bowl of the Bill Belichick-Tom Brady era. Ninth Super Bowl. They're 5-3 and three in their previous ones. Alec, you mentioned this before the podcast. If the Patriots lose, Tom Brady will have his fourth Super Bowl loss. That would be tied with Jim Kelly for the, the most Super Bowl losses by a starting quarterback. If he wins, he will be tied with the Pittsburgh Steelers for the most Super Bowl victories in NFL history. What does this mean for his legacy? Honestly, man, I don't think it means anything for his legacy, one way or another. I, I don't think it, it will make him – I guess in the eye – let me back it up just a little bit and explain myself. I don't think that it's going to change the narrative for anybody who already made their mind up. I think at this point in Tom Brady's career – He's the greatest of all time, or he's not. And the Super Bowl win is not going to get people in the, he's not the greatest over to their side. And a loss is not going to get the people who think he's the GOAT over to the other side. I think it's just going to enforce whatever your opinion already is. You're going to have, they're going to have a field day with back-to-back Super Bowl losses if he if he loses. And people are going to be like, he has, and if he wins, they'll say he has more, as many rings as the entire Pittsburgh Steelers franchise from their inception. And they're going to be insufferable. So there's going to be some really, really obnoxious people. Out in the ether, depending on how the game works out, it's either the GOAT people or the he's not the GOAT people. But I don't think in terms of the, the general population, this game's going to move, move the, the needle any way or another. I think it's great in that he can get six. That would be amazing. But the problem with Super Bowl is, Rich, is like, except for the blowouts, which are few and far between, every single game usually comes down to a couple of plays, a bounce here or there or a key flag or a, a key drop or a key catch, whatever the case may be. And if you're in nine Super Bowls, about half the time, they're probably going to go your way, and about half the time, they're probably not. So you look at the way the Patriots Super Bowls have, have worked out in the Tom Brady era. He could be 8-0. He could be 0-8 and anything in between. So it's really hard to look at it uh, objectively in that respect. So I'm not overly concerned about his legacy. I think it's already set in stone. It would be really nice to have that six ring because nobody's ever gotten six by themselves. That puts him in yet another category all by himself. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, the Patriots right now, they're three-point favorites. They actually opened up as one-and-a-half-point underdogs. But New England is favored to win this game, according to Las Vegas odds makers. And, yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll do anything to change his legacy whatsoever. Tom Brady, greatest of all time. He has the statistics. He has the longevity. He has the efficiency. He has the awards. He has it all. I mean, the only thing that he doesn't have at this point in time is as many MVP awards as Peyton Manning. And we could all point to the fact that, I mean, 
we can, I, I did this research called MVP win shares. It's something that baseball does where if you, even if you don't win, you get some credit. And so if you get half the votes, yeah, you get half an MVP award. And Brady's number two. <laughs> Brady ha- hasn't won. He's had some tough luck because other players have had really great seasons when he's had great seasons. And so be it. I mean, the the way that Brady has done this year in and year out from 2001, 2019, he wants to keep going until 2023. He's still doing it. He's still here. That's a great mantra. I mean, we could talk about the fact that his statistical production isn't the same. We could talk about how he's rising to the occasion where he doesn't have that same supporting cast. If the Patriots win the Super Bowl in a blowout, it'll be because Belichick and the defense. If he wins in a close one, well, he's always struggled in the Super Bowl. He's never been able to win one easily. So (laughs) the narratives will be whatever the heck you want them to be. They're still here. I love it. We're going to break down Tom Brady and the offense on our Thursday podcast. But right now, Alec, let's talk about the New England defense because they are going to be facing a high-flying offense of their own against the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams finished the regular season second in points uh, with 527. They've averaged almost 33 points per game. This is a really good offense. When when you're watching them all, they're led by head coach Sean McVay, Wonderkind. He's just just a brilliant offensive mind. What are you thinking when you see this team? Should the Patriots be concerned? Is there anyone of mind that you would really want to watch if you were New England? Yeah, it's a good question, Mitch. You said the Rams were second in points? Yep. Who's number one? Uh, this team in Kansas City, I believe. Oh, the Chiefs. So the team that scored zero points get the Patriots in the first half at home. That oh, team. that team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess if the performance at Kansas City is any indicator of what the Patriots are at least capable of doing against a high-powered offense, I think there's good reason for optimism against this Rams offense. One thing that the Rams don't have that Kansas City did have, I don't think the Rams are the kind of offense that can score 28 points on four plays. They, I don't think they're really built that way for these big, long bombs. Jared Goff's not the kind of quarterback who can run around for 10 seconds in the pocket, throw the ball behind his back, underneath his leg, whatever Patrick Mahomes could do. <laughs> he doesn't quite have – he's a good quarterback. I don't want to belittle what he's able to do with his offense, but he's not the same physical specimen that Patrick Mahomes was. And the fact that the Patriots were so successful limiting the Chiefs – and again, like I said in our, our AFC Championship breakdown after that game, they're really just a handful of big plays that allowed the Chiefs to get back in it. I thought the defense played fantastic throughout the entire game, and I can't imagine – a very uh, similar similar game plan against the the Los Angeles Rams. The only concern I have, Rich, is the combination of Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson. C.J. Anderson is just this unstoppable wrecking ball of a running back that nobody gives enough credit to. And the Patriots have at times, not recently, so it's not as much of a concern, but at times this season, they've really struggled stopping the run especially these big guys that just outmuscle you at the line of scrimmage. So if the Rams get the running game going and then they can open up the passing game for Brandon Cooks and Robert Wood and their 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 skill players at the receiver position, it could be a long day for the Patriots. So hopefully they can build off some good momentum. They they built against Kansas City in a better offense, but there is a stronger running game in Los Angeles, which I think they'll need to rely on with a lot of newer guys in their first Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you look at the production there. Todd Gurley, he only played 14 games in the regular season, but he had 1,831 yards from scrimmage and 21 touchdowns. So that is ridiculous production. C.J. Anderson came in, kind of stole some time away from 
Todd Gurley in the postseason, he's been productive as well. So they have a really great backfield. If you look at the advanced statistics, you look at Football Outsiders DVOA statistic, which looks at how these players and these teams are uh, performing compared to the average. The Rams have the number one rushing attack in the entire league by a fair margin. The number two team is the Carolina Panthers, and the Rams are twice as good, twice as efficient, twice as effective. And so this is a very, very tough running game, and we've seen that was against the – there's a three-game stretch. You get the Vikings, you got the Dolphins, you got the Steelers, where the Patriots' run defense was really, really bad. But – they brought Danny Shelton back from playing him as like uh, as a healthy scratch. They really settled down. The linebackers have been playing out of their mind in the postseason. And, yeah, I mean, they, they haven't had to defend a backfield as great as uh, Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson duo, but they haven't been playing against scrubs with the Chargers and the Chiefs. Those are two also very, very good rushing attacks. New England's risen to the occasion in part because of the, the game script. And so I think that is the, the game plan for New England. I think that if they win the opening coin toss, they ask to get the ball because mm. they want to come out to an early two-score two lead and kind of remove the rushing attack from the equation because when that happens, they can focus their attention on defending the pass. Well, that would require them scoring a first-quarter point, which hasn't happened yet, Rich, so I like the optimism there. Um, but we're still focusing on the defense here. And then while we're talking about defending the pass and eliminating the run game, Todd Gurley's also a passing threat as a running back. He had almost, I think he had 59 catches for 580 yards, and four of those 721 touchdowns came on receptions. So he is a threat out of the backfield. Anderson, not as much. And one area where the Patriots have struggled since the 2010 or so is covering receiving backs on those wheel routes, on those out routes, on those flats, the, the, the chip plays. They really struggle uh, covering these these mobile, shifty, pass-catching running backs. So if you're the Patriots, if you're Brian Flores, and you are seeing a scenario where you're lucky, you're up a couple of scores, the Rams are more or less forced to abandon the running game, but Gurley's still a threat as a receiver. How do you match up on that? Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've always hoped and wished that they would do more of. Uh, it would involve Patrick Chung. It would involve putting Patrick Chung and having his responsibility being these running backs. And so the Patriots have so much depth in their secondary that they have the opportunity to do that. If, they, if they're able to play nickel or dime, they can still cover everyone. You know, I mean, you can't talk about covering Gurley without mentioning the other receivers or players on the Rams. And so you have Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, one of the best duos in the entire league. You can put Gilmore on Woods. I'd trust that in an island. And then you put J.C. Jackson with safety help over the top against Brandon Cooks, most likely, I don't know, Devin McCourty. There isn't too much more depth at wide receiver beyond those two. And they don't really rely too heavily on their tight ends. And so that would free up Patrick Chung to say, okay, uh, who is really their third most dangerous receiver? It's definitely the running backs. It's got to be Todd Gurley coming out of the backfield. And as a result, I use the jackknife. I use Patrick Chung to cover him because you want to focus on eliminating Todd Gurley from the game. The whole Bill Belichick idea of remove what the other team's best player can do, you remove the running backs. You, you focus on stopping the run and making sure that they don't get any favorable matchups out of the backfield. So if there ever a time where they're going to be a receiver, you put Patrick Chung on them and you can figure out how to defend the other players because I don't want them to get any freebies out of the backfield. So, Rich, if they can do that, let's just say hypothetically they're able to 
Mark Todd Gurley enough so he's not a, a major factor. Still not sure what his injury status is. I'm sure he'll be fine for the game, but he is not 100%, which is something definitely to monitor throughout the course of the week as much as we can at least. Brandon Cooks is going to get his. Robert Woods is going to get his. You mentioned, Rich, not a whole lot of depth to the Rams receiving core beyond those two guys. Is there anybody that maybe Patriots fans were a little more casual or haven't watched too many NFC games this past season, too many Rams games? There's a name on the receiving core, the tight end core they might not know about that we should watch out for? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's three players that they like to rotate in there. They have Josh Reynolds as their third receiver. Cooper Cup is on the injured reserve, so he's not going to play. He was phenomenal. And they've asked Josh Reynolds to really step up. He's an outside wide receiver. They like to use Robert Woods in the slot, give him a lot of room to operate in space. But you have Josh Reynolds on the outside. I would expect that to be a Jason McCourty assignment if he's out there. And the Rams, they use three receiver sets the vast majority of the time. For the first 14 weeks of the season, I believe it was an astronomical number, like 99% of the time they use three receiver sets. But they've tapered off a little bit since they added C.J. Anderson, since Todd Gurley was hurt a little bit. They've started using a little bit more two tight end sets. And so you have to focus on Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby. Those are their two tight ends. Gerald Everett, uh, you know, he doesn't play as much as Higby. I believe Higby outsnaps him two to one. But you look at what they're able to do on the field, Everett's a do-it-all guy. He has more receptions than Tyler Higby. He's a better blocker. So if there is a player coming off the radar that explodes for a huge day, it would be Gerald Everett. The Rams would definitely try to get him open in space, and New England can't allow that to happen because he's a very, very athletic receiver. Rich, you mentioned how the Rams have kind of fallen off offensively as the season has gone on, and it's definitely true. You look at the numbers, the stats from the early season on to now, there's just not really a comparison to the week maybe three through seven Rams or the week 10 through 17 Rams. They've not been as productive. They had a lot of trouble beating the Saints. They needed a lucky penalty in overtime. They still deserve to win, so whatever. I'm not going to harp on that anymore. But what have you seen in watching game tape or whatever the case may be that's, that's been maybe responsible for the decline in production? Is it defense is catching up? Is it the Rams kind of slowing down? What do you see as kind of the, the main catalyst, if any, for this, this kind of slowing down of the Rams' offense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it, and you can only say that they've been, quote-unquote, slowed down so much because they put up, 31 points, 48 points, 30 against the Cowboys. I mean, they, they've still been productive, but there's been a big shift in how teams have defended against them. And so you start off with their bye week. And this is coming off, uh, they beat the Kansas City Chiefs 54-51 uh, in week 11. They had their bye week. Played Matt Patricia in the Lions, and I'm sure the New England Patriots are taking note. But the the Lions forced two turnovers. Yeah, the, the Rams still won 30-16, but... The, bear, the, I, the Lions just don't have the personnel to execute what they wanted to do. And that's flood all of the zones, force Jared Goff to go through all of his reads and get after him with some pressure. Because you talked earlier about how Patrick Mahomes is able to make all of those circus passes outside, uh, run around the pocket, you know, blindfolded. He can do whatever the heck he wants. Goff doesn't have that ability. And so if you can extend the plays... That's when Goff gets a little uneasy. That's when he starts making some mistakes. And you look at what happened the week after that against the Chicago Bears, you have four turnovers. They lost to the Bears, only put up six points. Week after that, they lost to the Eagles, three turnovers. And so the real trick is to you know force Jared Goff to make some bad decisions, give him some exotic looks that he's not ready for, and force him to make some mistakes. And teams have been able to do that after the bye week. I mean, the Cardinals and the 49ers aren't great teams, so of course they're not going to be able to. But 
you watch what the Lions, the Bears, and the Eagles were able to accomplish, I am absolutely positive that Bill Belichick and Brian Flores watched that tape and figured out, okay, we have the personnel that can absolutely do this, and we're going to capitalize on those errors. So what's the best way to do that, Rich? Are you are you coming out with like a base nickel, like a big, big nickel, like from 2016? Or are you coming a little bigger on the, the interior of the line to stop the run early for us in the pass? What's your base formation for Brian Flores here? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that you have to do is remove their rushing attack. And if, if you trust your secondary, and I absolutely do with New England, I would dedicate more of my resources to stopping that run. And I would come out with uh, you know a five-man front. The Patriots have done that at time, whether it's John Simon or Kyle Van Noy or Dante Hightower on the edge. But you have your standard four-man line. you got your Trey Flowers, Lawrence Skye, Malcolm Brown, and then either Dietrich Wise, Adrian Claiborne, whoever you want to have opposite of Trey Flowers. And then you just tack on a Simon or a Hightower or Van Noy. It gives you a really, really stout defensive front. It allows you to control the line of scrimmage. And the Rams use a lot of those zone runs, the spread runs that you might remember from years past uh, that have given the Patriots some trouble. This is something that Gary Kubiak uh, and Kyle Shanahan, I mean, (laughs) comes from Mike Shanahan. It's been around the league for a while, but their idea in their run offense is to spread out the entire line of scrimmage and allow the running backs to make one cut to get up the field. And if you put more players on that line of scrimmage, it gives you a better chance to control that position and not give them any of that free space, not to give them a crease. So I would put five players on the line of scrimmage and let your, your two linebackers really come downhill and try and stop them. Uh, and if that's what it takes to force them into second and long, third and long, then you can start moving into the, the nickel. But I would really, really focus on stopping the run early on. No, I like that a lot. It's actually why I'm actually going to pick uh, Kyle Van Noy, my X factor for this defense. I think he had a great game against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. He has in on a sack. He was really close to the line of scrimmage. He kept his eyes on the ball on those RPO run options. He's really good at diagnosing those plays and attacking the point. And as you mentioned, the linebacker is going to be a very important part of this defensive game plan, whatever that may be. And I think the linebacker is going to have a lot on their plate to play both run support and pass support, especially if they start utilizing Gurley out of the backfield, maybe an initial chip block or whatnot before a Patrick Chung or maybe a, a, a Jason McCourty get, gets gets onto Gurley. So uh, Kyle Van Noy is my guy. He's had a really good postseason so far. He's got one more good game left in him. Oh, absolutely. I like that. I mean, he's been asked, like just absolutely astounding. And you look at the linebacker play for the Patriots. And you have Dante Hightower having the best game of his season against the Chargers. Van Noy had the best game of his season against the Chiefs. The Patriots defense, we've mentioned this before, the Patriots defense is only as good and as fast as the linebackers play. And that's why my X factor is actually going to be a Landon Roberts. Roberts oh. is, you know, not everyone's favorite player, but he's really stepped up this year. I think he's emerged as a very, very reliable player. He's done well enough in coverage. But more importantly, he's been very controlled when diagnosing the run. In years past, he would shoot the gap, completely miss it, and open up a wide-open cutback lane. He hasn't done that as frequently this year. I'm really excited to see what opportunities he can provide this year. He has six tackles for loss on the season. That ranks second on the Patriots behind only Trey Flowers. Uh, He has a lot of tackles. He has 65 tackles, which, you know, it's, it's very, very productive. Fifth on the team, second on the linebackers. He can do it. If he's going to come in there and set the tone against that Rams rushing attack, 
that's what it's going to take. The Patriots' run game will determine the success of, or their run defense will determine the success of the team in the long run. So, Landon Roberts, Patriots linebackers, but specifically Roberts, is going to have to have a big game, a big game to be able to control that line of scrimmage, allow the Patriots to build up an early lead, and then prevent the Rams from running the ball for the rest of the game. So it sounds to me, Rich, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, that you think if the Rams are going to win this game, they're going to win it on the ground with a ball control style of offense, keep Tom Brady off the field, and use that to set up the big play down the down the field for like a Brandon Cooks kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it won't even necessarily be them just running straight down the field, but just to that point, if they have the option, if they have the ability and the access to the entire playbook, then the Patriots could be in trouble because Sean McVay, brilliant offensive mind. I want to restrict as much of his playbook as possible. And if you come out to a 14 point lead that cuts their playbook in half, and that makes it a lot easier for the Patriots to defend them, whether or not they even end up running the ball or not for Los Angeles. It's just the idea, the possibility, the option to run the ball that new England has to eliminate because that simplifies Everything, all of the reads, how to defend them, simplifies everything for the New England defense. And the good news is, I think they are capable of doing that. That's something I think that they can do. I think they have the personnel for it. They have the discipline for it. And they have shown they can do it against very potent offense last week and the week before. I mean, the Chargers and Chiefs were two of the best teams in the NFL, definitely two of the best teams in the AFC. And for at least a half of the Chiefs game, they were completely shut out, and they completely you know, demolished the Chargers. All the points they scored, besides that one blown coverage touchdown, was was in garbage time when the game was out of hand anyway. So they've definitely shown recently, even going back to the Bills and Jets, not as good teams, obviously, but they've still shown very, very clearly that they can stop offenses like this, and they can do it. The question is, you know, obviously it's a game of inches, Super Bowl is, and so hopefully they can put it all together and not have that, that one kind of slip out because I feel like this is going to be the kind of game where if Stefan Gilmore bites on that in route and someone's wide open for a touchdown those one or two plays can really decide this one yeah absolutely I mean they can't afford to make those same mistakes like they made last year or last week or against the Chargers and honestly they compared to last year's Super Bowl they better not allow over 40 points if they do that <laughs> that'll be a huge disappointment uh, I, I hope that the Patriots defense can do a lot better um, but We'll see that on Sunday. We have a lot more to break down. We have all of our information on patspulpit.com. Thank you for listening to this one. Tune in on Thursday when we'll break down the New England offense. Alec, it's Super Bowl week. Do you have any final thoughts? This is it, man. Home stretch. Awesome. Well, until next time, you have a good one. You too. Later, man. Later, man.